1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast, Festivus edition had a lot of problems with all you people. <laughs> I am here with Dan Secatore, site manager for Over the Monster. I am Brian Joiner, And we are coming to you for the last time in 2022. Barring a trade, I would say, for Shohei Otani. So for the last time in 2022...
1: Should we change the tagline to this pod, by the way, to I've got a lot of problems with you people? I mean... (laughs) That kind of has been our theme since September.
0: The only worry I have about the Festivus show is that it is remarkably similar to our normal shows. It really, really is. But we have happiness to start. I don't know if happiness is the right word,
1: but... before we even before we even start, can I just, I want to briefly, um, I was really excited to start today with a new segment that I was going to spring on you. Um, following back-to-back discussions of, of deer-related news, I thought we could have a recurring segment called Deer News, where we talk about things that are happening in the world of deers and former slugger Rob Deer. Um, and so I did... So my goal was my goal was to find out more about the Cuomo de Blasio Deer story and then to find out more about Rob Deere. I did find out more about the Cuomo de Blasio story and it's actually kind of interesting. I was able to find no information at all about Rob Deere. <laughs> Rob Deere, let me tell you, is the only human on earth who has zero digital footprint whatsoever. He is in a cabin in Wyoming or something. He briefly was a hitting instructor with the Padres. Left that gig in like 2014, has not been heard from since.
0: Rob, if you're out there, give us a call. We want to ask you about Jacoby Ellsbury. That's some nominative determinism there with Rob Deere, because that sounds like if you were to write a novel and have a character answer the door at a lodge in the snow, looks like they haven't seen another human in 63 days might might have them saying rob deer
1: rob deer yeah um the cuomo de blasio thing just just to briefly just to close the loop on that it was even more interesting than i remembered the deer was in harlem and eventually it was in a park in harlem initially but then i just started walking around the neighborhood going in people's backyards and stuff and uh the nypd caught it um No no surprise. NYPD likes, likes, you know, tracking things down in Harlem, (laughs) a little overzealous. Um, So the NYPD caught it and the city was like, we have to kill this deer. They were going to euthanize it. Uh, And there were all sorts of sound reasoning for it. The deer was used to human, like, like we said, deers can't be relocated. The stress kills them. It's too much for them. Um, This particular deer, too, was was clearly used to living amongst humans, so it probably wouldn't do well in the wild. So the city was like, we have to kill it. And Andrew Cuomo, who personally hated Bill de Blasio, stepped in and was like, no, I am saving this deer. I'm not letting you kill it. I'm coming in. We're taking it upstate. And he did that against the advice of his own environmental people who were like, again, you can't transport a deer. So he did it anyway. He took the deer. Deer immediately died. So there you go. Close the loop on our New York City Deer story.
0: Oh, well, I'm going to close the loop because I think you misspoke. You said Andrew Cuomo hated Bill de Blasio. I am pretty sure he still does. Well, that's true. That's true.
1: But the difference now is that this happened in 2016. The list of people he hates more than Bill de Blasio has grown significantly since 2016. So the relative amount of hatred has dropped for him, I think, big time. Whereas, whereas de Blasio was probably in the top five in 2016.
0: He's, he's probably dropped down to the 60s or 70s. I mean, dropping out of that congressional race when he knew he didn't have a chance was not something I thought he would do. He seemed to be like, okay, you really all do hate me. I'm gonna go away. <laughs> no,
1: he's not going away. He's he not too going too
0: tall. Away. He's too tall to go
1: away. That's but. true. Yeah. We'll have some, we'll have some de Blasio update. Is there an old was there a three true outcome slugger named de Blasio? So we could have a de Blasio news update if we can't do a Deer news update because no one can find anything about Rob Deer.
0: Well, maybe we Find things out about Rob Deer that aren't necessarily true, and we do like two truths and a lie. Type we just
1: thing. make things up about Rob
0: Deer. Then I don't. It's amazing how uh, talking about the taco promotion at the World Series has really changed the trajectory of this podcast <laughs> with respect to wildlife. Um, so I'm telling you, the steal of base, steal a taco thing—very powerful, still very powerful, uh, also very powerful. Steve Cohen. Woo-hoo! The owner of the New York Mets. Uncle Stevie. Go get him, pulled dude. off one of the great heists in modern baseball history insofar as it looks to all the world like Carlos Correa was set to sign with the Giants and then went to them and said, you know what? This contract is for 12 years. I kind of would rather go play for New York. And it just sort of was made to happen. And on one glorious day this week, everybody woke up and saw the news that the Mets, in addition to adding Justin Verlander, in addition to re-signing Brandon Nimmo for a lot of money, in addition to signing Kodai Senga, also... Signed Carlos Correa this offseason, pushing their payroll to, what is it, Dan?
1: Well, if you include the luxury taxes, pushing five hundred million dollars. I'm not sure you should include the luxury tax. I don't. I'm frankly, I'm not sure why everyone is doing that. That's that's not payroll. It's nobody's definition of payroll is what you pay your players plus this extra money that we've all decided to pay for some reason. So I that's would I would say the- it's. Cost of buying a luxury good. Yeah. it's in the name. I suppose so. I want, to, I want to brief. I want to briefly touch on on something. You, you you presented a possible angle I haven't really heard discussed in this, but I think is plausible. In the way that you introduce this, are you suggesting that you think that this may have been more of a Correa Boris machination than it was the giant simply getting cold feet?
0: I think this, and I may have over presented it without the evidence, but I firmly believe it, you know, Correa signed in relative terms for the off season a while ago or agreed to the contract. Since then, the Mets have just continued to go crazy. There's probably, there were, I believe that there are health issues with Correa of which the Giants knew and were okay with right i don't think it's machination so much that the simplest explanation here is that Correa after seeing what the Mets did and seeing what they're about went to them and said look this is a 12 year contract i would really just rather play somewhere else do you really want to hold me to this and they said, no, it's fine. We'll get like it's I feel like these contracts are all so similar, you yeah. know, that I think the giants are probably like, okay, we'll just give it out to the next person we can. Because the Giants that he would be the only guy.
1: Yeah. It, it is interesting that you know. One, there's obviously the medical issues is is a big mystery about this right now. Um, We're not going to find out the full details for legal reasons against unless somebody breaks the law or unless Correa himself comes out. But we already knew like the twins didn't have a problem with it. We knew that The, the twins theoretically know his medical history better than anybody. And they offered him a mega deal and they didn't have a problem with it. The one thing we have heard is that apparently it's an issue that predates his playing career. So whatever it is hasn't stopped him from being an all-star shortstop up to this point. So there is that mystery. But then, you know, what you're saying about the possible implications or, you know, what was this was this Correa trying to get to the Mets? I did think it was interesting that in in an interview uh Cohen gave yesterday, um I don't remember what outlet it was from. I think it was a New York paper. It, he talked about, he said, he said, we, we did want Korea early on in the off season. Um, but, you know, we had a lot of, we had some other things going on. We had the Verlander deal, yada, yada, yada. We had everything we were doing. We had Senga. Um, and he says, by the time we got to Korea, it turned out we were just a little too late is the way he phrased it, which I thought was sort of weird to begin with. The idea that, that Scott Boris would get a call from Steve Cohen and be like, ah, oh, sorry, we're already, we've already booked a flight to San Francisco. It's too late for us to change it now. Um, so I did think that was a little weird, the way Cohen phrased it, that they were interested in Korea, but were just a little too late on it. Um, so it, it, it is something I haven't thought about, but maybe there is a little bit more to this story that people aren't discussing, that it is is something that Correa wanted more than just the Giants getting cold feet or dropping the ball, however you want to frame it.
0: I think the Giants, I think every team enters the offseason with a plan, a general plan, but they're also competing, you know? So even though it hasn't been that long in real terms, the shifting of the landscape in baseball has been severe over like, A month-long period, month plus. The Giants, when they even at the time they went after Correa, and now may have been like, and I think are almost certainly like, we're we're fine not getting him because we didn't do enough around him. And he's telling us, I kind of just want to play there, but I signed with you because you were there. And I think, I actually think there's not a lot of ill will between the teams and the Boris in this situation. Um, I think that while Giants fans may be upset, the fact that he was signed—I mean, it was obviously not that the Giants canceled the press conference, and then the Mets were like, then the the Mets called. I mean, yeah, no, maybe- and, but
1: we know we know it happened the other way around. Boris called Cohen, yeah. Which again, I guess, leads lends more credence to this to this whole idea. Boris I mean, was the one who called Cohen when Cohen was on vacation in Hawaii. And said, well, hey,
0: it, you want a Carlos Correa? Well, I mean, it's, it, yeah. I mean, it, in that case, it could actually be the medicals and the, the Giants asked, like, what is this? We don't love this. And Boris is like, do you want to get out of it? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's more complicated than that. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's a little more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. But the broader point is that Steve Cohen is going to lengths uh unmatched by any current major league baseball owner to create a championship level team
1: and i love him for it so much i love him for it so so much have you uh did you see evan drelic's uh piece in the athletic this morning about this
0: i saw it i didn't read it i saw your tweet about uh the Mets revenues and you, yeah. got some, you got some fun feedback on that
1: i did i did i tweeted it and then i immediately deleted it not because not because i thought it was wrong but because again to to, to discuss to follow up on last week's discussion of my twitter habits i tweeted it and then i immediately like i had to spend the next 30 minutes reading, you know, Googling stuff about the Braves financials and everything. And I was like, I don't want to do this with my day. What, what am I doing here? This is a waste of fucking time. And so I deleted it. Um, but I do, let me just read you a couple of quotes from this relic piece uh, because they are delightful. They really, really are. Um, so oh, I just, see quotes. Yes. Yeah. Um, Quote, I think it's going to have consequences for him down the road. Said an official... Uh, with uh, another major league team who was not authorized to speak publicly. There's Uh, no collusion about Steve Cohen. Cohen. Yes. Quote. There's no collusion, but dot, dot, dot. There was a reason for years that went past without anyone ever going over 300 million. You still have partners and there's a system. This is what I have been saying on this podcast. Four months, they all can spend so much more money. They're all choosing not to spend so much more money because it's simply not in their interest to do so. The owners do not view the other owners as enemies or even adversaries. The Red Sox don't hate the Yankees. The Cubs don't hate the Cardinals. They view each other as partners who all have a vested interest in suppressing players' salaries, every single one of them. So yes, every team could be spending more, and the large market teams could be spending at least twice as much. Because guess what? The Mets are not rich because Steve Cohen is rich. The Mets are rich because the Mets are rich as a team. This isn't, you know, again, what we know about the Braves' financials in 2021 the last year that we have their complete numbers they got 538 million dollars worth of baseball revenue that amounted for them that year to be 108 million dollars in pure profit but even that number is likely probably artificially reduced because what a lot of companies do and what a lot of teams do and this isn't illegal but it is kind of an accounting trick is is that they they take a lot of their revenues And they invest those revenues and then they mark that investment as an expenditure, right? So, so maybe the Braves took in 200 million that year and invested 92 million of it. And then said, we have $108 left after expenditures, who knows, probably wasn't that much, but that this is a thing that teams do. And this is why, teams do frequently go out there with a straight face and say, we're barely making money because they immediately reinvest most of their profits. So if the Braves, if the Atlanta Braves and granted world series year, for sure. Okay. So they got a lot of extra games that year. They sold a shit ton of extra merchandise, but if the Atlanta Braves who have one of the worst TV deals in baseball are raking in $538 million a year, What the hell are the New York Mets making every year? The Braves are one of the worst TV deals in baseball. You know how much SNY gives to the Mets? Zero. Because the Mets own SNY. (laughs) They directly get all of the cable carriage fees from the... God, can you even guess how many subscribers there are to SNY in the tri-state area?
0: 30 million? And... and They're the second team. (laughs) They're the second team. So they get all the cable carriage
1: fees from however millions of of people in the tri-state area subscribe to cable. They get all the advertising revenue on SNY. They have higher ticket prices than the Braves. They have a shit ton of more corporate revenue in terms of sponsorships and Fortune 500 companies and club seating because it's New York. If the Braves make $538 million in one year, what is, what is even a conservative estimate for what the Mets make? Do we start at 700? Am I, is that too conservative?
0: Yes. That you is so? too conservative.
1: Absolutely. Right. So there we go. So let's just, so let's start at 700. Let's say it could be eight, could be nine, could be in, maybe in 2015, the year they go to the world series. Maybe it's even more than that. All right. What about so this year? What I about this imagine, year? imagine this year. Yeah. So again, the Mets are not rich because Steve Cohen is rich. The Mets are rich because the Mets are rich. And he, this is not Steve Cohen's money that's going to pay Carlos Correa. There I, I will concede that it is possible. Look, we don't we don't know what these teams' books look like because even though because even though they demand hundreds of millions of dollars from taxpayer funding from taxpayers every year to build their stadiums, they don't share their books with the public except for the Braves. So I will concede that it's at least possible. It's possible. That maybe the Mets this year run at a slight loss that Steve Cohen personally funds, but that loss is minuscule, whatever it could be. And I, and I think it's probably non-existent. I think they are probably still in the black, even with a $500 million payroll.
0: I agree with you. The only way you could lose money running the Mets, it would be literally to invest it with Bernie Madoff, which is what (laughs) happened. Yeah. The interesting part about this spree, specific to the Red Sox, it, it is like the Red Sox approach in photo negative. It is the exact opposite. Yeah. So it's really... Difficult to stomach as a Red Sox fan because as Scott Boris said in an interview, it's good for the sports when there are Goliaths and he is right. When there is a dominant team, it is good for the sports. Good for the sport. Now, obviously in baseball, the playoff system means that you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But you forget that from day to day. And what this does in addition to simply putting light on the Red Sox financial decisions is makes it a much higher mountain to climb because it creates a team that's so good that everyone is now going to be chasing that team. It it builds urgency into the system. Right. And as you have noted, these teams can afford to do it. Well,
1: there, so there's another quote later on in the same Drellick piece from a different unnamed executive um, that I think sort of bends my mind, and this is more relevant to, as we said, the Red Sox strategy, which I believe that they think that they can't win with 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 huge mega deals. I, like I genuine, I think that's a genuine belief that they that they have right now. Um, but listen to this quote and then see if it reminds you of anything you recently wrote on the site this week. Our sport feels broken now, a different rival executive said Wednesday. We've got somebody with three times the median payroll and has no care whatsoever for the long term of any of these contracts in terms of the risk associated with any of them. How exactly does this work? I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around. it. Now, first of all, if there actually is a great deal of risk associated with this contract, then this executive who just said that quote shouldn't be worried. If he's on a team like the Red Sox, who are avoiding those risks. And if it's right to do so, then this is where we get to to what you wrote about. So I'll let you take it off here. Then you should just wait for the Mets to implode and let your superior system of roster construction carry your team to the top, right?
0: But as you have correctly identified... That is not the real issue. The real issue is that these baseball owners have signed up to play poker for all intents and purposes for a set amount of money that they understand. Their tables operate at this level. Steve Cohen walks in and says, I'm part of this club. Guess what? Yeah, there's risk involved but I've dealt with much bigger amounts of money than this. And I am willing to take bigger risks. That person may not win, but that person is playing the odds in the correct way. The fear, as you noted, is that he will beat them soundly, not that the contracts will implode. Yeah. And the thing is, he's not
1: going to because of the playoff system, because of the expanded playoff system, which is, again, the, the reason why I was against in the first place. Like Major League Baseball has sort of already Steve Cohen proved itself with this playoff system. He's going to I mean, he could win 100 and he could average 110 wins for the next five seasons. That could easily happen. And the Mets could still not win a World Series just because that's how the postseason works. You know, so I don't that's I I maybe that's why, you know, despite despite these these scare quotes from these unnamed executives, other executives who have gone on record, at least aren't publicly complaining about this yet. Al Steinbrenner was was asked point blank if he regrets voting for Cohen. Uh, and he says, no, he says, I've I've never regretted voting for a single owner. Um, I don't know what that means about his vote. Or I, I guess I guess his father was still in charge when Frank McCourt was put in charge of the Dodgers. Um, but he says, no, I, I've never regretted voting for a single owner. It, it is good for the sport. It'll be fun. It'll be a fun rivalry. Um, now, I'm sure he's more upset off the record. Um, but is he all? does he also just sort of recognize that Steve Cohen can spend as much as he wants? it's not going to guarantee a world series title. It's the best, like the best it's going to give the Mets in a season that they win 110, 115 games. If they're, if they're that good, the best it's going to give them is like a 20% chance of winning the world series. Once the playoffs start.
0: I mean, if anyone has to have game recognizes game, it's someone with the last name Steinbrenner. <laughs> Fair
1: enough. But this and is, you're, a, it's a George move, not a Hal move.
0: Right. And when George did it, as we have, gone through at length there were far fewer hoops to jump through between the regular season and hoisting the trophy yeah the only thing i will say is that yes the playoff system does create champions who otherwise might not get it more to the fact that takes out would-be champions pretty regularly but that's because there's more of them over the long term i have no doubt that the Mets will probably win a world series. I mean, look at the Dodgers and look at the Astros, they're the perfect example. The Dodgers won one, you know, yeah. but they just kept making it. And thinking about the Dodgers winning that world series, I don't think about wow, they spent so much money, even though they do. I've just sort of internalized it. The team is great, that's why they're always in a good position. And as much as the playoff system, does shake up the regular season order, even in a nine-inning baseball game, Well, anything can happen, the better team is more likely to win. And I know that's barely more than a coin flip, but over the long term, it will work out for the Mets. I I I certainly hope it does.
1: I I certainly hope it does. I mean, I I am going to be glued to Mets games next year, and I'm not going to be the only person and the guy, you know, yes. Thank you. Let's,
0: it's great let's start me trying to win. Let's start trying I'm, to win. I live in New York area. My kids are coming of age. And now I won't have to, you know, they can root for the Red Sox. They can't root for the Yankees. But the Mets have made it simple to be like, let's root for those guys. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it, time to be a kid in New York. Um, and the Red Sox signed Justin Turner. <laughs> you know, what? it was a, it was a good deal. It was a good deal. <laughs> you
1: know, this, this is uh, something I wrote in the wake of the of the Bogarts departure. I really do believe that almost all of the Red Sox recent front office moves. And when I say recent, I, I think you can make this argument for the last three years. Almost all of them are pretty defensible on the face. I mean, there's a couple of a couple of the major blunders that have been beaten to death. Um, the Renfro trade, of course, you know, we don't need to talk about Mookie, but even that trade is, is defensible from a certain team building philosophy. Um, so again, so like the Justin Turner deal defensible on his face, he's basically offensively. He's basically going to give us what JD drew did, but unlike JD drew, he's capable of not only running onto the field without hurting himself, but playing competently when he gets there. Uh, be able to spell Raffy Devers at third. Devers should stay healthy. He'll be able to play first uh, against tough lefties as Casas still sort of works through that. So, like, it's a good deal. So is the Jansen deal. So is the Chris Martin deal. They're all fine deals. But as an overarching strategy, the Red Sox current strategy of let's just make some fine deals here and there is uh, is is leaving me less than inspired.
0: I mean, I said they were going to sign Justin Turner at some point. I remember thinking it very good yeah. because
1: yeah, you did. He fits
0: exactly what they need. He's the exact type of player they like, and frankly, is the exact type of player I like. But I also like when I eat a sandwich for not to be one little slice of something in the middle. I could have
1: more in the sandwich. Yeah, and and we should also, even though we're both saying, you know, we like this deal, we should also acknowledge there is a very good chance this is a terrible, terrible deal, because he is thirty-eight goddamn
0: years old. It's He's not enough money. Thirty-eight goddamn to be, years old. Well, not no, you're money right to be that bad.
1: You're right. No, for sure. again, it's it's not it's not going to sink the team's payroll flexibility. Um, although the fact that the option for a year two is a player option is hilarious. I don't see any, what circumstances is he not going to take that option? Um, but he is 38 years old. And I, are you aware of what his first half, second half splits were last year by any chance? I am not. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because you didn't read the article on the site. That's okay. Um, I'll pull it up for you here. So for the first three months of 2022, he slashed, 227, 298, 375 over 70 games. Now, to be fair, over the next 58 games, he was a vintage all-star Justin Turner version of himself. Over the last 58 games of the season, he hit 344, 12, 514. Um, So, like, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's insane. I can't believe he, he put those numbers up for that long. But what if he's the guy from the first half of 2022, and we are once again stuck with the basically unplayable corner infielder slash DH? It's it's very possible. It's I would say like it's a he's 38
0: years old. There's at least a 50 50 chance this guy's done. Maybe, but uh, he is he's as professional a hitter um, in the sub great player category as as you can find or has been over the long run so i have the guy if he can stand up should be fine and again as we said it's a great deal if you only shop for bargains you will only get bargains i mean that's just tautology yeah but someone at Red Sox headquarters, maybe John Henry said, why don't we just make the whole team out of (laughs) bargain? I don't know, John. Why don't you make the whole plane out of the black box? We're finding out. Exactly. Um, We're finding out.
1: I did see Justin Turner on the street in New York once. And he is just like, obviously, obviously you know that all of these guys are freak athletes, but when you see them in street clothes, like my God, like he was a goddamn specimen of a human being. It turned I used to work in in Midtown Manhattan and it as I didn't realize this until the day I saw Justin Turner but I, I actually worked a few blocks away from the hotel that most of the visiting teams who are playing the Yankees stay in uh the Lotte Palace it's it's right it's right behind uh what is it St. Patrick's Cathedral That's the same as the the cathedral fit there it's right behind there and I was and they had a really nice courtyard and it was summertime and I was going to go like eat my sandwich in the courtyard of this hotel. Um, and I just sat down in the courtyard and there, you know, there was a charter bus just idling outside the street. And all of a sudden he just walked right by. And I actually didn't, I didn't recognize that it was him at first, even though, I mean, he's kind of the most recognizable baseball player there is, but you know, he's wearing sunglasses, everything. He's in street clothes. I was just like, holy shit, that is a massive bearded ginger that just walked past me. Um, but then Cody Bellinger walked past next, and he him I definitely recognized. And I was like, "Oh, okay, this is the entire Dodgers who are now getting on the bus to drive to Yankee Stadium." Um, and well, I subsequently, yeah, go ahead.
0: Bellinger has the weed smoke, so like you yeah. can <laughs> yes he's, locate he's, him.
1: Yeah, his blurred eyes—they were easy to spot. Um, so yeah, so if you're ever in New York, and if you're curious, and and I have subsequently seen, I, I remember, uh, like I, I've now that I know this hotel i've seen like red Sox players post pictures on instagram of them like in the lobby here and there uh i think i saw i saw the angels stay there once um so anyone if you know if you're working in midtown or just traveling in new york for christmas well i mean it's it's not gonna do any good now but next summer the lote palace in midtown that's that's where apparently all the teams
0: stay i'm not going to belabor this with new york talk but i know that hotel and i've been in it um also possible that other teams stay there uh, i my my athlete in new york good best story is that i was driving up right in the same area and in the median on 59th street just below the park joaquim noah was standing there in silk pajamas by himself <laughs> very recognizable nobody else looks like that guy wow so, yeah this Anyhow, been, that's been good New
1: York athlete spotting talk.
0: Great for a new, Boston new segment Red to add right after,
1: right after our Rob Deere news
0: Great updates. for a Boston Red Sox podcast. People might have a grievance with us uh, talking about it in that. Oh, moment. what a segue. What a segue. It is time for the festivist airing of grievances on the Over the Monster podcast. That is what we will be doing to close out the year because what else could we do? Dan, I will let you go first. All right. I, I am
1: glad. I, I, for the record, I think you know. I, I, I complain about this a little bit because all we do is is air grievances. I would like to think of of what we just did with Steve Cohen as an anti-grievance. As a big anti-grievance to cancel out all the negativity that we're about to put into our listeners' ears. So, Steve Cohen, that's a thank you to you. Now, everyone else, I got a lot of problems with you. Uh, I'll start so my first grievance all of the Twitter engineers who resigned and told me the site was going to be dead by now what the hell guys I was really counting on that I really really was I, I, it, Red Sox Twitter is an awful place to be right now it really really is and there's this weird tribalism that's taken hold with respect to high and bloom and it's happening both you know you have you have on the one hand you have bloom defenders who it does not matter what he does they're going to defend it and and you can see this because well frankly a lot of them as when xander walked, said that's okay carlos correa is better anyway And then when Carlos Correa walked and we obviously weren't even in the picture with him, now everyone's saying, well, you know, it's only December 22nd. The offseason's not over, which, of course, ignores the fact that, sure, on the calendar, we have a lot of time to go left. But there are no marquee free agents remaining. And then on the other side, you've got the anti-Bloom people who all of a sudden care about Hoy Park. You know, like the, the whole thing about like, oh, we picked up Hoy Park and then DFA'd him two weeks later. That shit happens all the time. Every team does that. There, there's always all sorts of games that teams are playing with the 40-man roster. And there are frankly mistakes that are made with the bottom of the 40-man roster. But you didn't care about Hoy Park before. You didn't know who he was. You couldn't pick him out of a lineup. He, he you're never gonna hear his name again. So don't don't like point to the Hoy Park saga to me as an example of high and bloom, not knowing what he's talking about. And yet you go on Red Sox Twitter and this is all you see. It's this weird tribalization politicization of high and bloom where people, people pick their sides. And then after picking their side, then they build their baseball roster, building philosophy around it. Uh, And I hate it. And I do think it's because of social media. I don't think, I don't think this is how fans used to interact with each other or think pre-Twitter. I really do think that th- this is how sports radio hosts, you know, interacted and talked pre-Twitter. And everyone hated the way that sports radio hosts talked and interacted. And But Twitter has made us all sports radio hosts now. Like You know, if you're on Red Sox Twitter, everyone feels obligated to sort of carve out a niche, carve out a personality. Um, so I really hate it. It's an awful place to be. And like I said, I was really counting on Twitter not being around anymore. So those engineers who all got my hopes up, got a lot of problems with you guys.
0: That's literally also my number one. Shut up. No, it's not. Well, only one half of it. Because I'm on the good and righteous half. It's the Blumenati. You lost. It's over. It's a wrap. If nothing else, Steve Cohen finished it. I don't want to hear it. The Red Sox can afford to do more than this. They are using what we have identified as valuable contracts to say, look, the track record is good. Well, yes, if you only do the very safe thing every time, you will have a 100% track record in one column.
1: Yeah.
0: The Red Sox are not trying to create a winning team. Now they're trying to create both within the team on the roster. And as you have noted many times around the stadium, colonizing the area officially instead of just unofficially. Um, And in concert with that, they are seemingly building the Red Sox to only finally be good when that comes to fruition or on a much longer time frame than up to now, I would have tolerated, but now it's two thirds of the way done. Let's be serious. Uh, it's very plainly a money saving gesture. So you lost. There's, you don't, I... As you said, don't defend it it's not defensible we want the Red Sox to be good and for them to make good decisions it is not personal it is about winning and losing games and frankly being honest with the fans but if they were dishonest and they were winning I wouldn't care yeah. I'm not a
1: hundred percent sure I agree with you with respect to the idea that they are quiet quitting for a couple of years.
0: Um, You're on the list now, buddy.
1: Well, (laughs) so here's the, I I think at this point they are sort of facing the reality that they kind of have no choice. But I actually don't think that John Henry probably signed up for this. Like I said last week, I think he I think he absolutely bought into the idea that a successful baseball team is a team that prioritizes value over all else. I think he sincerely believes that and I think he he thought that Dave Dombrowski was not going to provide him that and in high and bloom he thought he found someone who would provide him that. But who would also, and he also told him, you are not tanking, you're keeping the team competitive. I genuinely don't believe John Henry saw, I mean, we, well, we know they saw a last place finish in 2020. They didn't try to compete in 2020, which I actually, frankly, was fine with at the time. Uh, And, 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 and still okay with it in retrospect. 2020 was not a real season. Sorry, Dodgers fans, it wasn't.
0: No, Um, no, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. You can have it both ways. It wasn't a real season. The playoffs were real. Okay. Because as it's like the, the one time that the playoff system was actually fine because they played 60 games. So, you know what? Great. Have at it.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, all right. Yeah.
1: I'll I'll go with that. But either way, I'm not, the, the Red Sox did not even attempt to put a competitive team out on the field in 2020 and I am still okay with that decision two years later. Um, I do not think that John Henry expected to finish in last place in 2022. And I certainly do not think he thought it would be possible that they would expect to, to, to finish in last place again in 2023. Um, I, I Like I said, I, I think he is, I think he is overzealous in his pursuit of value. And I think it is, the wrong strategy. And I do think it's very possible that if this team is in last place by Memorial day, and I don't see really any reason why it won't be right now in this division. Although I I still have some questions about the Orioles um, and their pitching in particular, but they do get John means back. Uh, If they're in last place after Memorial day, I, I think there's a very good chance that he fires bloom. Because I, I, don't, I don't think that they were simply fine. I, I don't think that their plan was we're going to tank and rebuild and just lie to people. I think they really thought they could pull this off. That they thought they could pull off letting go of big financial commitments, building the system back up, and competing at the same time. I think they genuinely believed they could do it. And now they're seeing that it's much, much harder than they expected so this so at this point they may be forced to face the reality of we don't have any choice we're not going to be good next year uh we need to to tone things we need to to now actually do a a, be honest with the fact that this is a rebuild but i don't think it's what they signed up for initially
0: i totally agree and i think that that's why as much as i have carped about the fact that the information that they have been giving us does not seem to comport with reality. It doesn't mean that John Henry didn't think that they, I mean, he said it after they traded Mookie, we expect to be competitive. And I agree with you totally on the 2020 season because the Red Sox were bad. It made it extra easy to write off in addition to everything else. And then I think 2021 I said it at the time, and a lot of people said at the time, it's, it was, it's great to have an overachieving team. It's one of the best feelings you can have as a fan. But you do kind of feel like it's going to end at some point. That ended. And then I also agree. Obviously, they didn't think they were going to finish in last place. But given where they are now, yes, I I, I agree with you that, I mean, you say, well, it's time to do a full rebuild. What what would they be to do? differently now, is it just trade Devers? Is that it? Because I think that would be it.
1: That would be it, and I don't think they're going to. I, I don't think they're going to. This is why I think this is why I I, I think FSG is, is going to change course at some point in 2023. Um, Because I I, I don't, like I said, I, I, they truly believe they could do this without doing a full rebuild. Uh, I don't think Henry is prepared to live in a world where the Red Sox are in the bottom half of the league with the tendons. Um And that's what they'll be looking at next May, I think, barring barring any real surprises the rest of this soft season and then barring any real surprises once next season gets going. They're going to be in last place. Last year already was the lowest year of attendance at Fenway Park since the year 2000. It is going to be so much worse next spring, Brian, because this has been one of the most toxic offseasons I can ever remember. And don't forget about the Celtics and the Bruins. (laughs) The two best teams in the NBA and NHL right now play a couple of miles from Fenway Park and very well could both be playing into June. Uh, I think next spring could be very, very ugly for the Red Sox. I don't think John Henry saw it coming and I don't think he's going to stand by and let it happen.
0: I agree with you that he says he likes value, but I think that as we've found out the value in signing uh, a star player exists and that's where Steve Cohen is coming in and showing that that's where the value is and he's showing yeah. his money. But at the same time, I think I've been trying to been struggling with what team I think the Red Sox are imitating most closely and the rays are obviously one to look at but what i think they want to be is the braves and they say they want to hand out these contracts the way the braves and i think what they mean is the way the braves hand them out uh which is the rays did the same thing it's like the extremely young player at the first sign that they can play in the major league baseball in in major league baseball boom seven years lower annual average annual value than you'd get in nine months. If
1: that and, were the if that were the case though, then they would have signed Rafi Devers to one of those
0: contracts 2 years ago. But I think the plan has always been to do it with a new generation of players. Hmm. And I you know, we will never know how much the blowback from the Mookie trade has informed what has happened since then it's hard for me to believe that for john henry it hasn't changed the way he's felt about this bloom i don't think it has changed bloom seems pretty consistent i don't think but, the Mo-
1: i don't think the mookie trade changed anything i do think the blowback from the the bogarts departure is i think this is the one that has them asking questions
0: well in the sense that they're like okay we traded the guy and he left and you didn't like it, and now he didn't sign him, and he left, and you didn't like it. Uh, I can see how it's possible that it ends up in a Devers contract, which I think would be good for the team, financial, whatever, we got to get moving.
1: He's 26 years old. You can sign him to an 11-year deal, and by the time Marcelo Meyer is ready, if he ever is, he's still going to be a good player. Like, what the hell is the holdup?
0: I don't know, Dan. What's your number two? Yeah, this is still a draft. (laughs) All right. My number two,
1: Uh, Alex Verdugo. Uh, So I did some research into Alex Verdugo this morning, and I found what I think is the one stat where he came closest to leading the league this year. I can't say this is definitive uh, because I couldn't find an easy way to figure that out. But I found one stat where he was 24th in all of baseball in 2022. you have any guesses as to what that is?
0: Facial hair. (laughs)
1: Come on. That's not – come on. You know that's not even close. Uh, Not when Brandon Marsh is out there running around.
0: 24th Um, isn't very high.
1: Well, that's true. Fair enough. Uh, but Alex Rudugo was 24th in the league this year in outs made at home plate. <laughs> which, which is only three, but the league leader was Jonathan Scope with only six. So three is pretty, pretty, pretty bad. Uh, Alex Rudugo is one of the worst base runners I can remember ever seeing as a Red Sox fan. And I feel like it should be easy. So Alex Rodugo I got a lot of problems with your base running, man. We got we got to fix this. I don't. He may not even be in the starting outfield next year, um, but if he is, and if he is uh, at this point now practically the face of the franchise, especially if if Devers is traded, then this guy's got to stop getting thrown out of the base paths.
0: Oh, the look on my face when you said when you realized the, the franchise. <laughs> but it's kind of like it's kind of true. Kind of true. You know it would be great if you could combine Verdugo as a hitter, who's not great, but, he, you know, he's good, with Jaron Duran's base running solely, yeah. which is like that is the best part of Jaron Duran's game by far. Yeah.
1: Although even he was, uh, you know, I, I I looked into his base running stats a while back. He's not getting thrown out the way that Verdugo is, but he's not being nearly as aggressive on the base paths as someone with his speed should be. He's not stealing at the right opportunities. He's not even going first to third at the right opportunities.
0: I think it's safe to say Duran was pretty shook last year. I think that's true. I think that's true. All right. I will go next. I'm still mad at those people. You know what? I've had a problem with you for years. The two people who didn't vote for Pedro for MVP at all. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm not going to mention their names because... Why not? Because you didn't look it up. I didn't have to look them up. Uh, one of them was Lavelle Neal, I think.
1: One of them um, was one of them was a New York writer, right? Who, and one was Minnesota. Yeah. And the, the New York writer said philosophically he could never vote for a pitcher, but then didn't he vote for, like, Andy Pettit two years later or something like that?
0: Yeah, the other one is Lavelle Neal. Oh, no, that's Lavelle Neal... Wrote it in the New York Post. Or yeah. no, that was George King. Um, George
1: King. Yes, yes, George King.
0: Yep. So it still just.
1: Oh, that you really
0: know, they say, oh, the me. MVPs don't matter. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's, they yeah. do. It matters Especially to me. Especially
1: for pitchers. If you're a pitcher and you get rewarded with an MVP, that's like a coronation.
0: Especially and the for the fact that Pedro. Pedro never got that
1: because Especially some jackass Pedro. left him off the ballot. Like all they had to do was put him in last place, right? And he would have. Any, any, he's just the off MVP? the ballot
0: entirely, yeah. Oh, and look, man, that is brutal. praise be to Pudge, but come on, people still talk about that Pedro season one of the two best pitching seasons of all time with the one right next to it,
1: yeah. Uh, so quick, quick sidebar conversation for you, uh, on our sister pod, the pod on Lansdowne, um, Jake Wallinger argued that. In his opinion, well, they were they were arguing about briefly arguing about how good Mookie Betts was relative to the all time Red Sox. And Jake initially said he was arguably the best Red Sox player ever, which is insane. Sorry, Jake. No, he, no, no one has an argument other than Ted Williams. Absolutely. No one has an argument. Um, and he backtracked uh, off that a little bit. And he started talking about second place. And the general consensus for my entire life has been that it's Yes. And that if you want to put Mookie in that category, it's Mookie versus Yes. But Jake actually thought it should be Pedro in second. And I mean, obviously, this is how you look at players, longevity versus peak, yada, yada, yada. But I'm not sure I hate that. I'm not sure. I I think maybe we should be saying that Pedro is the second best Red Sox of all time.
0: I mean, I wouldn't argue it. I think that what Jake. The truth in Jake's statement about Mookie Betts is that 2018 was arguably the best season by a Red Sox hitter. Of course, Ted right. Williams, you know.
1: Yeah, Ted has, Williams had Ted Williams had seven seasons that could argue with Mookie's
0: 2018. Yeah, yeah. But Mookie's season was historically so, it was. It was. It, not, not, nine, not, yeah. not to take away from that at all, but Pedro was just incredible. And I mean, look, at the time, it was a golden age for aces, and he was recognized as better than. It, yeah, Randy it, Johnson at the same time that Randy Johnson was the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. He's it, like it the was, universe of Randy Johnson.
1: Right. It was simultaneously a golden age for aces and the steroid era, which which is even more, because you're absolutely right. with Between Pedro, Clemens, Randy Johnson, and Greg Maddox, you had four guys who all can argue top 10 all-time status pitching at the same time. Um, By the way, so I did – I just pulled up the Red Sox uh, top 10 all-time seasons by B-War. Mookie did top. Mookie's 2018 was above all of Ted Williams' best seasons. Um, But – But (laughs) number one was Yaz in 67.
0: Yes, I looked at the same thing.
1: Yeah, Yaz in 67. (laughs) It goes, yeah, but I mean it's still – there's still no argument because just reading the top 10 – it's Yaz sixty seven, Bets twenty eighteen, Ted Williams forty six, Ted Williams forty two, Yaz sixty eight, Ted Williams forty one, Tris Speaker nineteen twelve, Rico Petroselli sixty nine, tris Speaker nineteen fourteen, Ted Williams fifty seven again. I mean, it, it's Ted Williams. There's, there's, no and war.
0: if there was no war, Ted Williams would push. Oh
1: God, he would have three more of those. Not, yes, not, 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 no war. Not two wars. The guy fought in two goddamn wars. We actually That's never a good point. In World War II,
0: but, but, Sorry. yeah, Ted Williams is still the goat yeah. but that's it pedro deserved the mvp you're up
1: all right um okay my next grievance hollywood you have stopped making great baseball movies and i love a baseball movie i looked this up today do you know as far as i can tell there were two baseball movies made in 2022 You have not heard of either one of them, so I'm not even going to ask you if you have. The first one was called Running the Bases, and the summary they provide is, when a small-town baseball coach gets the offer of a lifetime from a larger 6A high school, he uproots his family and leaves the only home he's ever known. But as a man of faith, he soon faces extreme opposition to his coaching methods from the school superintendent. Running the Bases from Faith-Based Films, Inc., (laughs) So that's not even really a baseball movie. Nope. And the other one was called The Royal. This is a true story, actually, about Willie Mays Aikens, uh, a a, a guy who played with the Royals in the 80s and then uh, went to jail on a drug charge. Faith and family helped baseball legend Willie Mays Aikens survive a historically unjust incarceration, but he quickly finds upon his release that faith and family and addiction and fame are still as hard as hitting a curveball. That last sentence doesn't even make any sense. This one looked a little bit more interesting, um, but it still wasn't even released. Neither one of these was ever even in theaters. Uh, The Royal, you can watch on Tubi, if you have Tubi right now. That's it. That's it. Um, There's one more that I thought was released this year, but apparently it's going to be next year, or maybe it's not even going to be made. It's called The Hill. The Remarkable True Life Story of Ricky Hill's Improbable Journey to Play Major League Baseball. Brian, do you know who Ricky Hill is? I figured it out. Well, guess what? You didn't. Because there actually has been no Ricky Hill ever to play Major League Baseball. I looked it up. The guy never even made it past single A. So I don't even know. And guess and Dennis Quaid is attached to that movie. So this is I, the next big baseball movie starring... Popular baseball actor Dennis Quaid is about a guy who reached single A once. (laughs) What I used to be so many great baseball movies. uh,
0: uh, A guy who used to, his daughter used to go to school with my daughter. He had played baseball, and once I found out his name, I looked it up, and he had made it to A ball. And so I asked him, "Hey, what team were on?" He's like, "Oh, the Brewers." And I'm like, "What team?" He was like the Brewers. I like, oh, so that's how you play it. <laughs> yeah,
1: okay, got so it. So that's how you play it. Brewers. Okay, did you I ever did
0: you ever play with somebody who who went pro? Not that I know of. The Martha's Vineyard uh, high school league was not particularly. Yeah.
1: I actually I played little league. He wasn't technically in my league because the the town that I grew up in was so small that we we had to play leagues teams from towns around us. Um, So he was never on my team. I didn't go to school with him. I didn't really know him, but I played against him for four years with a kid who who did spend a few years in the Red Sox system. Um, But even there that like, he only ever even became a professional baseball player because as a teenager, he grew to like six, seven and really like developed a powerful frame. He was like, he was fine as a 12 year old. He was not
0: that good as a 12 year old. So
1: maybe he's going to get a movie next
0: I, the, the closest I came was there was a kid who played for Nantucket when we played against them who got in the sports illustrated faces in the crowd. when he Oh, get out. Food. Yeah. Because not against us. Thank God. He hit the cycle of home runs.
1: Really? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so deserved it as yeah. much as I will hate on Nantucket deserved it. That's pretty cool. All right. My next grievance will be people just sticking to their guns on stupid shit because they think you have to root for a baseball team a certain way. Very sport, very early sports guy slash still sports guy, Bill Simmons behavior to think yeah. I have to, th- I have to act a certain way. I have to, do this or that. No, the the thing about loving a team is that it can be expressed in all different ways. Obviously, even right now, we can be pretty negative, but we love the Red Sox. And so I don't like people judging us. I also do not judge people. People used to complain about, oh, the pink hat crowd. I don't care. That's a really mean thing. That's a really shitty way to think of A group of people who, yeah, maybe they just got into the Red Sox because it was popular at a certain time in their life. That is true of pretty much everything anybody picks up.
1: Yeah, it's it's a very like late teenage, early twenties thing to do, right? Because it's because at that point it's all about your own identity. Like you're trying to forge your own identity.
0: Some people lock it in, and they never leave it. And I get how it happens it just disappoints me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And it is happening a lot right now obviously with again as the what's what started this conversation the tribal war within Red Sox Nation. Uh yeah, you do see a lot from from the pro, the pro bloom side of of people who, you know, just dismissing any any critiques of the front office as WEI stuff, as Pink Hat stuff, as you know, the braying masses. Uh it isn't so
0: I get, I mean I get it. There's a the whole part of what you were saying where yeah there was sports radio. The reason these people get more on hinge and the takes get so deep is sports radio had a captive audience when you're in your car, you're in your car for how much time a day? Boom, 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 boom. You can go so deep, but you're gonna come out. That's not the case with social media. You can go as deep as you want for as long as you want. And that breeds distrust and like rivalries. And that's sort of the point of it. And I'm doing it right now in some ways. All I'm saying is the same way it's true if I get something flat wrong for me to look at it and say, here's what in front of, here's what in front of my eyes I was wrong about that. The people who have... Just looking at the way fans act. I don't care that people like high and bloom. Just please don't be upset with things being described exactly as they are.
1: Unless you are either a high and bloom son or B high and bloom, like killed your dog. Nobody should feel this, this, this just never ending urge to critique or defend the way that everyone does. Like hey, we can look at all of these things on their own and in the aggregate and, and, and come to more reasonable
0: conclusions about it.
1: It's just, it, it's just so depressing.
0: And I'm look, I have I'm sure I'm guilty of it too. And so in that case, I have a grievance against myself, but I try <laughs> not to, but that's the point. All
1: right. That's all a good right, one. You're up next. My next grievance. Uh, So this grievance is against the entire Red Sox media and fandom as it has existed since 1908. um, For the fact that in these 114 years, we still haven't come up with an acceptable singular noun for player on the Red Sox. (laughs) This is something that always bothered me as a fan. And now that I have to write about it all the time, like we need something like you can't say Alex Verdugo of Red Sox. You can't say that. We, you know, I've, I've I've read like some old newspaper clippings. They used to say like Soxer, I guess that's okay. I don't, we need something. My only suggestion is, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't mind the idea of going a little, Unusual to and not directly attaching it to the name Red Sox. Um, And, you know, how the Red Sox are sometimes referred to as the Old Town Team, which is a nickname I think I've always enjoyed. I actually think the Old Town is a really good nickname for Boston that Boston should adopt. Nobody uses Beantown. That's stupid. Um, The Hub is, you know, whatever. That was initially a mocking nickname and initially only referred to the Statehouse. So that's dumb, too. So Boston should call itself the Old Town. The Red Sox should call themselves the old town team. And then Red Sox players can be townies. What do you think?
0: I am 100% on board with every single thing you said. That's the best one so far. That brought some much needed levity to this pod. Uh, But I do think- How have we not come up with a name? Well, I think that's because the Red Sox is just, it's perfect in the sense that it just defies it enough that you can write around it. So as a writer, you're right. Look, at least we're not the White Sox. At least we're, oh God, at least we're the Red Sox. We're the real Sox. <laughs> Who came first, actually?
1: I mean, I know we we completely stole our name from the Braves. So the Braves were the first Red Sox, but were the White Sox before us? Well, I mean, walks? it's like
0: the Democrats and Republicans. The,
1: uh, that's right. The, yeah, the Democrats, the, Democrats the, saw the, the Republicans. Republicans, they have, uh, we're yeah. Democratic
0: Republicans. Yeah. All right. Well, see how this is going to go. All right. I'll go next. I'm just, I'm sticking with things in the past. I'm, I'm still mad. No more hurt his wrist his hand. Uh, Come on. Why, why'd that have to happen? We've had so much good happen. That's great. At, you know what? I'm switching this one. That one is bad. My grievance is still uh, with Grady little. I'm taking that back. I'm still mad about that. I don't care about the titles. People get hurt. I was at that game. It was not fun when the Red Sox lost. Still mad.
1: Yeah. I uh, I uh was kind of okay with the move at the time.
0: <laughs> I'm sad Nomar hit his wrist, but I don't think I need to file a grievance.
1: No. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Nomar probably would have broken down no matter what. Like, uh, you know, yeah, like, I
0: mean, if they started testing bodies yeah, for substances. he
1: definitely was on some stuff. <laughs> I hate to admit he's, it. But he's you
0: literally look at, the poster boy for I mean, you that look...
1: Toward- Like, have you you ever looked at his minor league stats? I have not. He had no power at all until he got to Pawtucket. He had no; it just wasn't a part of his offensive game at all. Now I know that you know sometimes that happens. That sometimes that happens. Players grow into their bodies; they turn doubles into home runs. But Nomar also wasn't that young. He was; he was went to college. You know, so this wasn't a guy who started in the minors as, as a high schooler and grew into his body. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, I, it's something I I only admit to myself late at night in in a dark locked room, but yes, he, he was using something.
0: I avoid that by never being awake late at night. <laughs> That's what um, I do. All right, go ahead, your last one.
1: All right, my last one. uh, okay, so everyone's upset at the Red Sox right now. Uh, they have raised ticket prices. And everyone complains about that. Attendance is likely to crater next season. Um, I have one thing that the Red Sox can do to slightly make the game-going experience a little bit better. And they could do it by resolving a big grievance that I've had for the last two years. The bag bans, which I know are not just a Fenway Park thing. It's at literally every single venue, sports and music in America. But the bag bans need to end. They all started as a COVID thing back when we thought that we were getting COVID by touching each other's purses. We now know that that is was never even really the way it was transmitted in the first place. And we're filling the stadiums up anyway, so we're not doing anything else in these stadiums to prevent the transmission of COVID. So let's fucking get rid of these bag bans because it is so obnoxious. I the amount I used to all the time you know, I I would go from work, go right from work with the bag and a laptop over my shoulder and go to a game. And it was fine. And it was fine. They checked my bag. I carried my computer around all day. That could be kind of annoying, but that was my problem. It was wonderful. It was fine. The fact that we can't do this at ballparks anymore just pisses me off so much.
0: Another great one. It's just pretextual. So you have to buy food there. I mean, that is, that's yeah, well entirely... not not only that they now charge they now
1: charge you to check your bag <laughs> so it's another streamer oh, that, too
0: <laughs> So to, the Yankee across you. from Yankee Stadium there was a bar that had lockers cuz Yankee Stadium hasn't allowed bags forever or backpacks mm-hmm. and you would just go to the bar if you, if you needed to just get a locker and do it and so critically this wasn't the team doing it this was a bar Yeah you know because what's safer than a a bar, bar. <laughs> yeah,
1: just throwing
0: it behind the liquor cabinet uh, that, That's a very, very good one. And my last one is... of It could only be one thing, Dan. It could only be one thing. The Mookie Betts trade. Still mad. Still mad. I say I'm not mad because I don't feel it all the time. Still mad. Still dumb. Sorry. Yeah. Me but too. again... It, all right, so it, how does and-
1: Festivus work? Once we air these grievances, do we let them go? Or are they no longer... <laughs>
0: Oh, no, this this is just the first part. There's a Festivus poll that we put up and we wrestle. No, 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 yeah,
1: no. I know the other traditions. I'm talking specifically about the grievances. Once you air your grievances, is there something deeper where now, now you, you no longer harbor them?
0: Do you think George Costanza's dad stopped <laughs> having grievances after airing them? Fair point. I don't think so. Jerry Stiller stayed mad.
1: He did. So you just air it to just to air it?
0: Yeah, it's because it's fun. Same reason you go on
1: Twitter. <laughs> it's not fun. Never once in my life have I logged off Twitter in a better mood than I was when I got on it.
0: Never once. You just got to have better tweets then. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably true. All right, now is the time where we discuss my mortal enemy of the week, isn't it?
1: Do you have one?
0: You know, no one is really screaming out to me. So as a cop-out pick, and I will do this when I can't, when I don't really have one, which is good. It's probably just me. It's probably like, you know.
1: (laughs) You're your own worst enemy?
0: I'm being too nice to myself, so I'm not getting in fights. And that's bad for the segment. No, I don't really have one. Uh, Well, that's a good thing. View that as personal growth. I think there's a storm coming through right now that everyone will have experienced by the time they listen to this in the Northeast and pretty much all across America, it seems it feels because tomorrow is the last day of school that maybe the kids won't go to school and that the break has already started. So I think that right now I'm feeling the holiday cheer. All right.
1: Well, good for you. Let it, let it linger. Let it last as much as possible. I think, um, the the week between Christmas and new year's is, you know, is, is the single best week of the year. It really really is cuz the pressure of christmas is gone the 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 aspect of christmas that turns into a deadline of gift giving and getting all the groceries you need and cleaning up the house for visitors and all that stuff like all that's in the past but like the beauty of it's still up the the lights are still up the decorations are still up you're not working as hard you know you can just it's it's the it's my favorite week of the year so yeah take a week off from having a mortal enemy go for it
0: Also, I negotiated my daughter's Christmas present with her. She's seven. Oh, (laughs) her main Christmas present. uh, And then I just got my son's. So I'm done. So, you know,
1: nice. That's good.
0: So All no right. no more. To, what do you recommend this week, Dan? So
1: I will piggybacking on my grievance about Hollywood not making any great baseball movies. I am going to recommend one of my favorite baseball movies. Uh, and it's it's one that's a little more under the radar than the classics. Uh, did you ever see the movie Sugar?
0: I knew you were going to say you that. You knew I was going to say that. I almost <laughs> mentioned that earlier. I almost <laughs> mentioned the last baseball movie I can remember seeing was Sugar.
1: It is a wonderful, wonderful film. I I just checked if if, HBO Max, Amazon Prime, Hulu, it's all on there. Everyone listening has at least one of those things. Um, It's it's the story of a young player who moves up through the system starting um, in the Dominican. Most of the story takes place in the Dominican Academy and then in the very low minor leagues. I don't want to spoil it too much because I think part of the beauty of the movie is that it at no point does it go where you expect it to go. If you've ever seen a sports movie before, it doesn't do those things at all. Um, so I don't want to get into it too much, but it's really like it's a great story. It's it's really it's more of, it's just an immigrant in America story more than more than a baseball movie. Um, but having said that, the almost the entire movie takes place on a baseball
0: field or in a clubhouse.
1: So if you haven't seen it and you like baseball, give it a watch. It is wonderful.
0: Also, without spoiling it, I will say that there is real reason to believe, as is made clear in the film, that, look, we watch, we talk about single players all the time, right? That this is a very true-to-life story. And I agree mm-hmm. with you. You never know where it's going. It's really compelling. But yes, to bring it back around, that is the last baseball movie that I can remember seeing. I will... The only thing I would say, and I haven't watched it, but I've heard it's wonderful, is the A League of Their Own series. Now, oh, I also yes. understand that that's not about baseball so much. as like, I have a friend, she's non-binary, and she's just like, I love it, it's just gay. It, and that's oh, it, awesome. is ex-
1: it is extremely gay. It is wonderful, too. So I, sh- I should have mentioned that as well. I watched that. I got to say, the first, the first few minutes, I was kind of, I, I didn't know anything about it when i when i i mean i've seen i've seen a league of their own maybe more than i've seen any other movie possibly just because when you grow up in the 90s you have you only have so many vhs's in your house and and it's, that, all, and it's awesome
0: there's there's that and it's awesome. wonderful it's awesome. uh, yeah
1: i absolutely love it and i've seen it a million times i was initially horrified in the opening minutes i was like wait a minute this isn't about sisters are you kidding me you can't make a league of their own about sisters but they did. It's not about sisters at all. It's way more true to life than the actual movie was. Um, because as you said, what what a league of their own, the TV show is, is absolutely a gay show. It's a show about being gay in the 40s when they were not allowed to be gay. And that is, I, I think, uh, you know, an, a league alum did say in the 90s that like her own estimate was that like 60 percent of the players were gay um you know by her own recollection obviously at the time they were all keeping a secret so that's what the show is really about and it is wonderful
0: it's yeah, a little friend, slow
1: but you know it prob- probably probably could have like every prestige show they probably could have cut off an episode or two but yeah give that a watch for sure
0: yeah my friend was like the co-worker at our very small office who i got along with as well as anybody i mean more than anybody she pointedly hates sports <laughs> and baseball and made fun of anyone talking about baseball and then watched this show in like a day yeah. and came in and was just like, she's just look the whole, what you're saying where they say that 60% of the players are gay. These are untold stories. You know what are good? Same thing with sugar. That is an untold story. League of their own. The movie, as you said, that's not the story of the movie. The movie is a Hollywood movie. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, this is th- this is a true to life movie. Good Anyhow, pick. good. Well, that's Wait, your
1: pick. pick? No,
0: that- <laughs> that's your pick. Okay, right. My pick, my recommendation is Holiday Cheer. Just oh, have some Holiday Cheer.
1: That's a good and one.
0: and probably watch Glass Onion on Netflix today if you have power.
1: All right. Yeah. Okay. Oh boy, I haven't seen oh, Glass Onion. I haven't seen it yet. Well, I haven't, I haven't, seen, seen, it I haven't yet. seen. I haven't seen.
0: I haven't seen it yet either. One of my
1: grievances, one of my early draft grievances was that Knives Out was just fine. We can stop pretending it's like the greatest movie ever made. If it were released in 1998, everyone would, would have just been like, yeah, that's fine. It's only now that just people don't make those movies anymore with with major actors that it seemed so different. It's fine. I... Sorry, our, our pod on lands Out guys did an entire <laughs> Knives Out or Glass Onion themed podcast. It was actually the first one they did with us where they 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 cast a, a Red Sox centric version of Knives Out, casting people from the broader Red Sox cinematic universe in the movie. And it's a wonderful podcast. And I am going to watch Glass Onion. I am sure I'm going to enjoy it just as I watched Knives Out and enjoyed that. I Just think people need to step back a little bit of the knives out, love.
0: I only disagree in the sense that Daniel Craig is literally the best at everything, and he's just so fun and having so much fun that I agree with you that there is a paint by numbers aspect to it while there being underlying details you don't notice that yeah. pop up throughout the movie. Ryan Johnson is awesome, but he does make yeah. movies. Yeah. You know? I'm looking
1: forward to it. I don't want to I am coming across as a hater. I'm not. Um, this is my, I, I'm I'm hating the rest of the movie landscape right now. The rest of the movie landscape that renders knives out and glass onion so much better than everything else that's being made.
0: It's this negativity that gets you and would get you in trouble on Twitter. This, this is th-
1: true. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, Fair people
0: enough. watch Knives Out and watch Glass Onion or don't watch Glass Onion. Watch Knives Out. Don't watch Knives Out. Celebrate Christmas. Don't celebrate Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. Don't have a Happy New Year. Actually, just have a Happy New Year. And thank you for sticking with Over the Monster through a very wild year in its history. We changed editors. Matt left. Dan showed up. We have had so much happen with the Red Sox xander bogarts is gone that's not so fun but we got some new names new faces on the site where the uh, pot on lansdowne crew has joined us and familiar faces thank you so much for being with us the whole time and we really really appreciate it um especially when you give this podcast a five-star review
1: That sounded really nice. I accidentally muted you there for a second, but it sounded like it sounded like a really nice way to wrap it up. That'd be my,
0: my guys saying nice things about you and you muted me. And, and and then uh, thank you for everything. And people, we will, we will be back in the new year to discuss the next two year, $12 million contract, the Red Sox handout, which I'm sure will. Beefing up this bullpen. You could celebrate this winter with some good rum <laughs> oh, in your well done. well done. And with that, we will see you next year. Dan, thank you as always. All right. Take care.